inch by inch, row by row. Good afternoon, Alaska gardeners. Welcome to Growing a Greener Kenai, this special episode. My name's Larry Opperman, and I'm happy to be here on this absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous Central Kenai Peninsula Day. Mother Nature's been kind of, boy, she's been a little bit, a uh, little bit wicked here lately. And it is we we needed some of this sun and blue sky back through the summer. But what we didn't need was obviously twenty degrees. You know. So anyway, anyway, we uh, we have a, a great great day going on and i'll tell you we uh we're happy to be here and you know why i'm here on a special a special day today is it's the kdll membership drive now i've got some prizes to give away for those of you who would like to join or just donate to the station if you'd like to do that please give us a call at 907-513-1996 we would love to have you as a member of KDLL, and we uh, we uh, we look forward to having you as a member. Of this uh, helping uh, helping KDLL doing a donation to uh, public radio. Uh, it's what helps us stay on the air and provide the great shows that we provide. You know, and uh, I I have uh, I have fun doing. Growing a greener Kenai, and I've had a lot of feedback that uh, that that folks have folks have enjoyed it, you know. So, anyway, uh, some of the prizes I've got, I've got, uh, we've got some support from Mel's Bakery at the Copper Center on K Beach Road. We've got some gift certificates to Kenai Feed, and I've got uh, compliments of. Wayne and Patty Floyd at Cool Cash Farms. I've got some peony roots. So we'll get into that a little bit later and we will we will uh, uh, get those out today for anyone who will donate or join KDLL. Okay, so how's everybody been doing uh, how's everybody been doing with your with your garden? Uh, it's a uh, not a whole lot going on right now, but there are still things to do. And I'll tell you what I am doing is a little experiment this year. And I've told you some of my experiments in the past. Well, I planted my garlic in a little corner of my greenhouse uh, just to see how it does. And I'm hoping that you know, just like I said, just an experiment. Uh, my greenhouse isn't heated, so it's still going to get cold in there. There'll be sun, but it'll be, it'll be cold in the greenhouse, and the ground will, will freeze. It'll get cold enough to vernalize those uh, garlic bulbs. And you all remember what vernalization is. There are certain plants that have to go through a cold spell before they will, in fact, sprout. And uh, one of those is garlic. And for those of you, you know, you can plant garlic in the spring. And what you do to, to trick the garlic into thinking that it has been outside underground, you put that in the crisper drawer of your fridge for a couple of months. 
And uh, if you've ever noticed any store-bought garlic you've ever gotten, uh, you'll notice that in the fridge, it'll start to sprout. You get some little green sprouts out the top of that thing. Well, that's because it's gone through its cold and it thinks it's time to go. So anyway, uh, you can do that. And I've done that before, uh, planted in the spring just as an experiment. And, oh, I don't know, uh, it, the bulbs don't ever get uh, uh, as big as planting them in the fall. But but it's a it's something to try if you want to and and what I did before was I just bought one time I just bought store garlic, and vernalized it in the fridge and planted it in a couple of pots and they grew and I got basically store garlic and most store garlic is soft neck garlic and uh, the hard neck garlic soft neck garlic tends to uh, keep longer uh it'll keep maybe for up to a year depending on how you take care of it and hard necks don't last that long there may be a good for six months now one of the ways my wife and i have decided and we and we saw it on a oh we saw it on a cooking show that we like to watch and what we do now is for the garlic we're not going to replant we take it we you know we split the bulbs and we put it in one of those little silicone tubes, and it looks, it's about the size, it looks like a manicotti noodle, and you put it in there, and you roll it back and forth, and the skin comes off. It, it works great. You know, and some people, some people will put their garlic cloves in a, in a jar, like a mason jar, and shake the tar out of it. The, the skins will come off then, uh, and then what we'll do is we just put those in a zipper bag and keep them in the freezer. And they keep great. They don't freeze hard as a rock. You can still smash them. You can still slice them and, and uh, run them through your garlic press. But that's what we do. And it seems, you know, we'll just take time and sit at the table and roll those dudes back and forth in that silicone manicotti tube. And it, and it works like a champ. It just absolutely works like a champ. So have anybody, uh, you know, I'm curious if anyone has has or hasn't uh, harvested anything still. Not, not has it. Is there anything left for you to harvest? I've still got some Brussels sprouts out there that have been going through this, and I think, I think I'll probably check them this afternoon after, after uh, I get off, off the show. I'll be here till 2 o'clock, and I've got a guest coming in at, at uh, 1 o'clock with me. You folks may know him, Mitch Michaud. And... Uh, Mitch, if I remember, was a forester by trade, and he's on the Kenai Soil and Water Conservation uh, Board. And Mitch is going to come in. He's going to talk with us for uh, the last half of Growing Greener Kenai today. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what Mitch has got to say. I'm looking forward to, looking forward to that. So anyway, uh, don't forget, 907-513-1996. And one of the things I'd also like to throw out there is, you know, you can you can donate that way. You can also go to the KDLL homepage and just click on Join Member, and you can pay for it with your credit card. You can set it up. You can set up your donation on a monthly basis with your credit card, a yearly basis. And what I did... Uh, for my uh, trying to support KDLL the best I can is I set up my donation, my wife and I's donation, where every six months a charge goes to our credit card. And it's 
boy, it's almost invisible. It's not that much, and it's it's easy to do. And I'll I will have to tell you, I'm one of those guys. I I check my credit cards, but not you know probably not as close as I should. So I was checking it uh, checking the bill, uh, make sure it got refund you know a refund, make sure it got refunded, and I saw this bill to KDLL and I got confused and I had totally forgotten that I had done this once every six months because I've never paid any attention been doing this for a couple of years now so I talked to the station manager and she's like yeah Larry don't you remember you set that up she goes do you want me to cancel it oh lord no don't cancel it don't cancel it in fact for this membership drive I'm going to bump it up a little bit. And we weren't donating that much money. It was $50 every six months. Like I said, it's invisible. You don't see it. 60 bucks isn't that much. That's just a little over $8 a month. But I'll tell you, for everybody listening to, to Growing a Greener Kenai today, for everyone that donates during the two hours I'll be on the air, I'm going to, I'm going to up my wife and I have decided we're going to up our donation $5 a month. So right now it's $50. Every six months, that's about $8. So if people, if, if people, you know, uh, donate to the station, we're going to bump up uh, a little bit of money and increase our monthly donation too. So be sure to call in and do that. Now, what I'd like to see from our gardeners, and some folks uh, just really like this, uh, there again, like I said, I've got two $50 gift certificates to Kenai Feed. Thank you to Sarah at Kenai Feed. They're always in support of KDLL and the Central Peninsula Garden Club. Wayne and Patty Floyd donated two really nice peony roots, and same way with that. You call in with a donation, you'll be in a pot uh, for a drawing to get you a couple of peony roots, a, a peony root, and that's a $30 value uh, from Wayne and Patty. And they've got the directional, uh, the directions with each root on how to plant them. They've got the soil amendments that you need to plant. And then uh, from Mel's Bakery, I've got a couple of large Mel's t-shirts. So if you folks will call in, uh, donating to KDLL. I've got some good things in return for you, and we really appreciate you, in fact, doing that in support of KDLL. Remember, 907-513-1996. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about today, and I think, uh, I think I remember a show where I did this a couple of years ago when I first started this, and that's talking about some vegetables. And one of the things, some of the vegetables I wanted to bring up is what vegetables originated in the United States or in the Americas, uh, North America, Mexico, South America. What vegetables were already over here that the Europeans didn't know about and they've become uh, worldwide now, grown worldwide? And conversely, what vegetables do we all grow that, oh man, we all love, but they didn't originate in this country. And there's, boy, you'd be surprised at how many of them. There's, there's, we grow way more stuff over here than we had here. So 
I think uh, a lot of folks that, that like to study garden history and, uh, you know, uh, thinking back when you think back to high school, you know, for American history, and I, I don't want to get into the politics of this at all. That's not what we're here to talk about. But American history basically began when Columbus came to the United States. Yet, for thousands of years before uh, Columbus got here, America, the people, the uh, indigenous people of North and South, Mexico and South America, they'd been living here for thousands of years, and they grew food. And what did they grow? Well, the three big ones that were grown over here in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, they planted corn, bean, and and squash. Now, the corn back then isn't like the corn we have today. Some of the corn back then, uh, oh gosh, I can't think. Uh, oh, I've, I've lost the word for it. Is it like tecante, tecante, something like that for corn. And there was only like eight to ten corn kernels on each little ear. So that. Uh, uh, that over the years, even before modern science hit, people figured out when the Europeans got here how to start crossing that corn and getting the ears bigger, longer, more kernels on them, what have you like that. So uh, the corn, it grows almost everywhere. It has trouble here in Alaska. Uh, but you know, when you plant your seed up here in Alaska, you need to do something. Uh, soil needs to be like in the 60 degree range for corn to germinate. And then you've got to kind of keep it warm. Now, one of the folks here at the station that is helping us with, uh, with the, uh, the membership drive, we were both talking about how we had such a cold summer and wet summer, yet our corn in our greenhouses did pretty well you know not not big ears you know not like the big ears you you see at a at a grocery store or something like that you know not the big eight ten twelve inch ears of corn but we all got corn and it's some of the most corn i've had in quite a few years and we were all talking about how it seemed really weird that such a cool wet summer and very little sun that we in fact got so much corn. So anyway, uh, that's uh, that's amazing. And then beans, the native uh, indigenous folks knew how to plant beans. And if you remember, a lot of you folks have heard this phrase before. They used the phrase, the three sisters. Now the three sisters that apparently uh, the the indigenous folks taught the Europeans to do was you plant some corn. They provide a climbing structure for the beans to go up. The beans fix nitrogen to the soil, which the corn and then squash, they utilize for the green growth that's going. And then squash, the big leaves of squash, act kind of like a mulch to prevent weeds and it helps prefer soil, uh, preserve soil mo uh, moisture. Excuse me. Well, one of the things too is, you know, squash plants uh, kind of have some, sometimes have some 
prickly leaves on them. And the hist- historians say that their, their prickliness of the leaves helped deter hungry rat- raccoons and deer. So when you look at those foods, corn, beans, and squash, nutritionally, those things, they had some carbs, they had some protein, and they had uh, uh, carbohydrates and vitamins and some healthy fats in those, just those three things. But what else grew, grow, grew, grow, grows, did grow in, in America, the Americas uh, back then? Well, avocados were native to America, mainly in Mexico. Avocados from Mexico, we've all heard that ad. Cacao, chocolate was native to the Americas. Chili peppers, cranberries, papayas, peanuts, and a lot of folks don't realize this one, but pineapple was indigenous. Uh, It was in South America. Uh, Pumpkins, sunflowers, tomatillos, and tomatoes. And the one that most of you folks that listen know that I'm a big fan of is potatoes. Potatoes originated in the Andes Mountains in South America. But all these things, those things I just read off, those were growing in the Americas when Columbus and the uh, the the expansion from Europe uh, started uh, coming over to the to the uh, the Americas, the North American, South American continent. So, but everything else, it's really amazing. Everything else was from another location. And it is really pretty neat when you look around at what was growing. And and a few other things I'll, I'll let you know that were originated in North America. In Nor- I'm going to say North America right now. Is some of the fruits, uh, the blackberry, blueberry, cranberry, dewberry, gooseberry, grape, and raspberry, and strawberry, those originated in North America. And Central America, we had the papaya and corn down down there. South America, avocado, pineapple, and strawberries were down there. But uh, green beans, lima beans, peppers, potato squash. So you start looking at some of these things. But now we get into, like, Europe. So we got Western Europe. Well, in Europe came the carrots, cabbage, parsnip, turnips, Eastern Europe, endive, horseradish, Africa, dates, watermelon, artichokes, okra. Boy, my wife and I, we love okra, but it's it's kind of hard to it's hard to uh, it's hard to propagate up here unless you've got a a good heated greenhouse. Uh, they they like hot hot weather. Uh, the Middle East carrots in the Middle East radishes. And it's uh, it's kind of one of those things you think of. We don't think about it because now, in the breadbasket of America, the the Great Plains of the farms, the wheat, and in California, the South U.S., all these plants that are grown, cabbages, lettuce. Uh, uh, oh, I just lost the the, th- the thing. I'm growing Brussels sprouts, and broccoli, and all those things. They just have fields, thousands and thousands of acres of these. Well, they didn't originate here. And scientists have worked to 
improve those and and now we've got a we've got a great crop of those but most of the things as i said that we grow now they didn't originate in north america at all uh india gave us uh the cucumber and the eggplant uh india also gave us lemons limes mangoes muskmelons you know so it's it's kind of one of those things the and the middle and believe it or not the middle east had uh, asparagus, beets, celery, lettuce, onions, peas, radish, spinach, cucumber, you know, and it's, it's really amazing. The, that, that's, what's kind of sad to see what's going on over there right now is as the cradle of civilization over there, they gave us a lot of things that we use today, uh, for our food. And, you know, one of the things too, that was, uh, when the travelers, the Europeans came to the country and they thought the tomato was actually poisonous and they didn't eat the tomato eat the tomatoes for many many years but the tomato when you think about tomatoes and tomato sauce it kind of makes you think of italy and pizzas and you know sauces and that kind of stuff but those originated in the united states in the americas and uh, then it didn't take too long before we figured out that that piece of tomato, that fresh homegrown tomato, tastes better on a BLT than anything else is gonna is gonna be on there. So, and spinach. Uh, now I'll have to tell you, as a kid, I loved Popeye. I love Popeye. I'm strong to the finish because I eat me spinach. And I I tell you, when I was little, I you know how Popeye used to squeeze that can of spinach. The spinach would fly up in the air and then come into his mouth, and his muscles would get great big. And you go, I remember being a kid, doing my best trying to squeeze that spinach can and pop it open and get strong like Popeye. Well, and then as it turned out, my mom cooked some spinach, and I hated it. I mean, I hated the spinach. And I still hate spinach. I try it every now and then. It's got too much of a bitter iron taste for me. Now, fresh spinach I love. I love fresh spinach in a, in a salad. But cooked spinach, I can take if it's maybe a little bit of it's in a lasagna or a, uh, or a uh, ravioli or something like that. But uh, not much else. I'm not a big fan of spinach dip or anything like that. But like I said, fresh spinach is absolutely wonderful. So sit there, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about uh, if uh, gardening is going to become a hobby for you and you're thinking, of, you're thinking about what you want to grow, uh, just do a little uh, internet research and say, I wonder, where does this thing originate from? And you, you sit there and you're like, well, wow, radishes. I didn't know radishes aren't from here. Celery isn't from here. Lettuce isn't, you know, so many things we take for granted that fill our grocery stores now, they came from another location on the, on the earth, uh, from other people. So, uh, it's, it's really an amazing, an amazing thing how expansion around the world and, uh, some folks will say, oh, that was a bad thing. But like I said, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the advantages of how the food crops have spread around the world. And one of the things some folks don't also realize is, you know, there actually was a man named Johnny Appleseed. 
and apples are not indigenous to the United States, to North America or the Americas at all. Uh, apples and pears, uh, none of those trees, the, the orange tree, tangerines, grapefruits, uh, persimmon trees, peach trees, apricot trees, those came from other countries like China, Southeast Asia, uh, like I said, India with lemons and limes. So apples truly are, I mean, Washington is the mo uh, Washington state is the most producing uh, state for apples every year. And there truly was a man named Johnny Appleseed. And now if you look, there are orchards with some of these fruits all over the country and all over the world now. I remember back when I was a kid, the first house I ever lived in as an adult, it had apple trees in it, it had some peach trees in it, and it had a grapevine in it. And it was so much fun to go out there and harvest the grapes and make some jelly, harvest the apples, make applesauce and, and, uh, and that, and the peaches, and can the peaches, and uh, it's, it's, it's great. And uh, some of our farmers up here in Alaska now, they are starting, they're getting it figured out now on having some orchards here in Alaska. And I just saw this morning I was reading uh, a little article, uh, I think it was on Facebook, about uh, hazelnuts are being grown in Alaska. And th they're doing fairly well. So, uh, you know, regardless of what you think, I mean, uh, everybody's got their opinion on climate change, but uh, as it warms up, there's going to be more trees, more plants that are going to be able to grow in Alaska that haven't grown in the past. I mean, we got people that are growing now like Chinese maple trees, uh, maples, sugar maples, uh, some oak trees, and what have you. And that's going to change the, the outlook. It's going to going to change the, um, oh, I lost the word, not the geography, the, I guess maybe the geography of the plant, the, the plant geography around the state, depending on how those are propagated and under what control. And that's something we can ask Mitch when he gets here. Like I said, I think he was a, uh, I think he was a forester by trade. So we'll, uh, we'll kind of ask Mitch what his thoughts are on that. So anyway, uh, when you're, when you're thinking of your garden, uh, you know, think, think about, and I've, I've thought about that before. I think, well, who, who grew the first, who grew the first, uh, uh, celery who grew the the first squash how how did this happen was was it accidentally found by a person they go oh, this is good and they they plant the seeds uh when did they when did they start tilling the ground and growing these on their own and learning how to do it and one of the things that's intrigued me uh, uh, really well is you folks have heard me talk about and seen other people talk about biochar the uh, the carbon uh, of burned wood ground up and you use that to hold nutrients in the soil to help release at a slow rate for your plants. Well, they have found biochar along the banks of the Amazon River that they estimate are thousands of years old that back then those people uh, in South America at that time, I'm not sure if it was the Aztecs or, or who it was back then, they figured this out that biochar is good for the soil. Now, if you 
just put biochar uninoculated in the soil, you're not going to do too well. And what's really amazing about this stuff is, for instance, like one cubic centimeter of biochar, which is basically a milliliter, uh, a cubic centimeter and a milliliter are the same thing, although it's a solid, it supposedly will spread out and cover. It's got like a hundred square feet of surface area in that one cubic centimeter. So what you what that do is the components of the soil, it likes to do what's called adsorbing, AD, adsorbing into that biochar and build it up. So if you put your biochar in your garden and then just plant in it, the odds of you having a good garden are pretty slim because that biochar is going to suck all the nutrients out of that soil until the biochar is saturated. It's going to do that. And it might be several years before you have a good garden in that spot, and you'll wonder what the heck happened. Well, it's the biochar sucking up the nutrients that the plants need. So what you do with your biochar is you have to inoculate it. And one of the ways you inoculate it is we've talked about this before, about getting some uh, a water, a bucket, some water, bubblers, and then you, you're making your, like, compost tea out of whatever, your, uh, your worm casting, some of your homemade compost. You put it in there. You put, you put your compost into the bucket with some water, and then you have a bubbler. And then you might put, oh, like a, uh, a quarter cup of molasses or sugar something there because the, bacterial, uh, the bacteria in there, they need something else to eat. So what you do is you let that bio or you let that compost tea cook a little bit. It works up. There's good biology in there. Then you add your biochar to that. You keep bubbling it. You mix it up. Well, then that biochar adsorbs all those nutrients that are in that compost tea that you've grown. Then you put that in your garden because now once that biochar is saturated. Now it's going to release those compounds to the plants that you're growing. So be careful of that. And I, and I diverged there a little bit, but that's, I did that based on, like I said, they've, they've found a thousand-year-old biochar along the Amazon River uh, in uh, Brazil, in South America. So uh, the, the peoples many, many, many generations ago, they understood this, that it made their soil better, and they had better, they had better plants from back then. So, uh, but I, the, the history, the history of gardening and farming is very intriguing to me. And I think it could be to you too. Uh, it's, I don't know, uh, there just doesn't seem to be too much on TV anymore. Uh, and my wife and I, we love to watch these shows about, you know, the folks, uh, the big the big farms. You know, I watched one last night, and there was a corn planter that planted at one time 48 rows of corn at one time. It dropped seed for 48 rows, and it's like, they, I mean, you couldn't really see anything. They had to uh, film it from the air with a drone, and it was just, it was just phenomenal 
watching some of this big equipment. And I'll tell you what, folks, that's kind of some of the ways, not so much with corn, but I've watched, if, if I want to learn how to grow something new, I might go to YouTube and I might watch, uh, you know, I'll do a search and I might, might plug in commercial broccoli growing, commercial cauliflower growing. And you actually can learn a little bit by watching these big commercial guys. You know, for instance, we watch one farm out of Pennsylvania, their, their videos, and they go through their cauliflower field and they use a big rubber band and they pull the leaves up around the cauliflower heads. And the reason they do that is because if you don't, and the sun hits the head of cauliflower, they will turn a little green. Well, it's still perfectly good food. It's absolutely perfectly good food. It's perfectly good cauliflower. But marketing-wise, in the grocery store, wherever, people want stark white cauliflower. That is the only reason they do it. And the commercial guys, uh, hopefully they give it to a food bank. They do something else with it. But the commercial guys, if they don't have snow white cauliflower heads, they, they dispose of them because they can't sell them because the public has been marketed to the point where they've got to have stark white cauliflower heads. Well, I've done it both ways. I've tied my cauliflower leaves up. And I haven't done it. And if they turn a little bit green, we don't care. We just eat them anyway. They're just they're just as good. It's not gonna. It's just that when the sun hits it, they just start developing a little more chlorophyll in there, which isn't gonna hurt you. But it's the uh, it's the marketing of why uh, why it's like that. So, well, folks, you know uh, uh, we're doing pretty good here. Uh, like I said, I'll be with you another hour with Mitch. Uh, but I'm gonna take I'm gonna take if you don't mind. I'm going to take a quick break, and uh, I see uh, I see one of our folks came in with uh, with uh, a drink, uh, and I forgot to bring my water bottle, so I'm going to run over and get my water bottle. But before I do that, I, I've I've got a song for you, and hopefully uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll we'll get we'll get to that here in a minute. Uh, let me see what am I what am I doing here? I'm having a I'm having a heck of a time for it. Oh, there we go. There's where it was, I think. So uh, let me see if I've got it now. I think I do. And I always try to play a song that is related to gardening or it's got a gardening name or a gardening thing. Well, I've got, I've never played this one before. And I think that it's one of the ones that I should have played a long time ago, but... This is the Green Onion song by Booker T and the MGs. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. So anyway, uh, we're talking about, we've been talking about a little bit about what veggies, where they originate from. And I'm going to, I think most of you folks know this. I'm the type of gardener who, I mean, some folks, if you really like it and it's your hobby, that's fine. Me personally, I don't care at all about the scientific name of the plant. All I like to know and all I like to help people with is this is how it grows. This is what it is and this is how to grow it. For instance, cabbage is brassica 
Oleracea. Well, so what? <laughs> from, my, from my standpoint, if you're a scientist and you're studying these, that might be something you need to know. But the cultivars of that, cabbage, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, we all know what the brassicas are. That's okay to know that. We say, okay, these are the brassicas. And we know what that means when we're talking brassicas. You know, and, but did you know that the brassica is also a turnip? The Napa cabbages, those are brassicas. The carrots are called the Dacus carota, originating in Persia. Who cares? From my standpoint, who cares? Just show me how to grow these things and what makes them grow, the best way to grow them, the best conditions to grow them in, and that's what I want to know. And we like, for instance, we all know what the uh, family of alliums are. We use that term. You know, those are onions, scallions, uh, garlic, leeks, elephant garlic. You know, so we know that. We know that peppers are the capsicum. Uh, but do we really do we really need much more than that? I don't. If you're, like I said, if you're a professor. Now, Casey Matney, he can probably whip all these names off. I mean, from the top of his head, you know. And uh, Casey, Casey's a great. You got any good questions about gardening and gardening in Alaska, farming or whatever, is uh, Casey at the uh, Extension Center. You know, you folks know how much I like to talk about the Extension Center and the resources they have there. And you can almost always get uh, get an answer there. And uh, one of the things I had to uh, send a, uh, or, or didn't send, but I told uh, last Wednesday night I did a talk on gardening at uh, Kenai River Brewing uh, they have uh, sessions where people people come in and talk, and they ask me, and I, I went in and talked about gardening for a little while last Wednesday night. Well, one, one lady in a, in a Q&A after it, she said, I planted my potatoes. They were well underground, no sun exposure, but some of them were green. And I'm, I, didn't know, I didn't know what to say. I didn't have an answer for her. And I said, well, I know uh, if you check the University Extension website, uh, UAF Extension Center, uh, UAF.Extension Center, uh, they have an article about green potatoes, but I said the best thing for you to do is, if you've got one, is take that potato down to the Extension Office on K Beach Road. You know, you should know about where it is. It's, oh, it's kind of across the street from the, uh, oh, uh, from the veterinarian office, from Craig Taylor Equipment, kind of down in that area on K Beach going out of Soldotna. And they can, they should be able to help you with that. And as I've mentioned before, they can help with a lot of other things too, uh, like getting your canner dial uh, tested to make sure it's accurate. You can do that. So anyway, what uh, what do we got? What's what's going to happen here now this winter uh, for all of us gardeners? Now some of our gardeners, they've got wonderful wonderful heated greenhouses and one of our uh, uh, gardening members our uh, Central Peninsula Garden Club members who is an excellent gardener Marcia Kardetsky uh, she just got a little heater gas heater installed in her greenhouse so I'm guessing Marcia is going to be really ready to go uh, for for next year uh, I don't know I don't think she's going to do anything this winter with it but boy, she'll be ready to get started earlier and grow later next year.
another one of our members has an absolutely beautiful year-round greenhouse that attaches to their home and it is uh, i've been on a tour of it and it is absolutely phenomenal it's wonderful uh, i've told you folks before i i kind of draw the line when a when a head of lettuce is going to cost me 10 or 12 dollars uh, in utility costs and everything i'm not going to do that but hey if it's a person's hobby that's cool it's no uh, you know i look at that as no different than being in being in anchorage and we used to drive down all the way down uh, to the russian to catch three fish and then go home uh, it was it was way cheaper to just buy the fish up in town but that's not the idea of the idea of it is the experience and the fun of doing it so anyway yeah if a person that wants to do that hey uh, go for it a hundred percent and uh, and and that'll be a good deal so here we got uh, we're now at the uh, end uh, getting the end of October and like I said there's not a whole lot going on right now hopefully you've got your your uh, your bulbs in the ground hopefully you've got your garlic in the ground uh, maybe you are or aren't saving your own seed and you've got them uh, dried or drying right now in a, in a nice dry uh, air circulating area going to save some of your own seeds uh, but then uh, for me I'm already starting to think about what I want to do next year like like I said as an experiment I planted some garlic in my greenhouse this year so I'm going to see how that does uh, it, it's not going to take up that much room I've got a couple of I've got a couple of, oh, I, I like to call them dead, dead zone spots that are hard to get to. You know, when I, on one end of my greenhouse, when I made my, my beds for everything, like my tomatoes and corn and everything, the, the far corners are, oh man, they're too far to reach. I got to lay a board down and, and crawl back there on my hands and knees to do any work back there. So I put some garlic back there and I'll just let them grow and now I won't have to reach in so far. I won't have to mess with anything. And hopefully that garlic will be just fine back there. I'll water it. I'll let it go. I amended the soil a little bit, and I got it ready to go. Uh, so uh, as you folks know, one of my big things is doing my best to make life as easy as possible on myself when you're gardening. I've said it many times. I'm going to say it again. The older I get, the farther away the ground gets. So I like to keep things as easy as I can. And one of the things that should be easy for you folks is joining KDLL, either as a member or just to donate, 907-513-1996. Uh, and don't forget, I've got some great prizes to give away for some of you folks that call in. Uh, my wife and I are going to uh, bump up our every six-month we're going to bump up our every six-month uh, payment based on how many folks donate during this show, uh, 12 to 2. And uh, I've got two peony uh, bulbs from Cool Cash Farms, and uh, they're absolutely great. And I've got, I mean, you hear that? That's the, that's the paper for growing it. Uh, how to plant it, how to care for them. Uh, if you've got peonies, they should be, uh, you should have them cut back by now and mulched and all that good stuff. And the variety, let me look at the little, uh, let me look at the little bag 
see if, uh, oh, there it is. It's a Winifred, Winifred, Winifred Dom. But there, I got two of them. And one of the things, too, is if you, if you get the, the, the puny uh, start tuber bulb to get going, you need to pick them up and get them planted post-haste, which means fast. And get them in the ground uh, because we're pushing it. We're put, uh, Wayne and Patty are still selling roots, but it's time to get them in the ground. So I've got two of those. That's a $30 value. Two $50 gift certificates, two Kenai Feeds. Sarah is always, always supported us here at KDLL for growing a greener Kenai and, and the Central Peninsula Garden Club. So uh, throw some love, uh, Sarah, Sarah's way at Kenai Feed. And then a couple of t-shirts at Mel's Bakery and the Copper Center. Uh, they got great fresh, uh, great fresh bread, uh, a couple of large t-shirts. So... Uh, give a call in and don't forget for everyone that calls in during this show my wife and I are going to bump up our uh, every six month donation to KDLL and I'll just put it on auto auto uh, charge and not worry about it and I doubt I ever forget uh, again that oh what wonder what this charge is I'll, I'll never forget it again so anyway uh, please please help out KDLL 907-513-1996 or go to kdll.org online. You can do it online, and you can set it up, set it up that way. And uh, and we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you as a member of KDLL. It's uh, it's it's fun doing the shows. Fun. I love to help folks garden. And you know, one of the things I always tell everybody too is, you know, we we in this we live in an age where. For us boomers, anyway, and for us folks that are a little bit older, we live in an age where when we were younger, we we had to go. I mean, we had to go to the library. You had to sit there and look through microfish. You had to get books. You had to do all this stuff. Now, it's just incredible. If, I th if I'm having trouble with something, I mean, I'll talk to... Uh, you know, go to the garden club meetings, and I'll talk to an experienced gardener. But boy, you've got your phone in your pocket now. You've got a, a like a a world library. You you've got a world agricultural library at your fingertips, and somebody always has the answer. Someone always has the answer for you anymore. Not that we don't want you to to listen to the show or call into the show or go to the garden club meetings. But we really, really have uh, great, great resources at our fingertips anymore. You can find out whatever you want to find out uh, in in seconds. You know, I did a I did a search uh, last night for something, and it sent back a hundred and twenty million responses. Now. That just is incredible to me. Uh, that's how many responses I got. I was looking up some some plant information, and it is just phenomenal. Am I going to look through those? No, but I'm going to look through the front page. So anyway, uh, don't forget, 907-513-1996. And I got stuck there for a second. T-shirts from Mel's, 
$50 gift certificate from Kenai Feed, two great peony roots from Cool Cash Farms, Wayne and Patty Floyd. And I talked to, I talked to uh, Wayne and Patty here the other day, actually, and they... Oh my gosh! They had a heck of a time with their their peonies this year. Uh, they were they were doing fine. And you know, whenever whenever they sell peonies, uh, they typically are sending them out to a wholesaler. And you know, when you pick those, you pick them as a bud, and they've got a long stem on. You pick them as a bud, and then the bud opens up at a later date. The bud opens up at a later date, and that's how they ship them. And then People get them and then they put them in water and that and the and it opens up into a nice flower. Well, toward the end of the year, if you remember, we had some warm weather. Well, the uh, by golly, uh, Patty told me that their flowers opened uh, when they were gonna get them. They didn't uh, weren't able to get out there and get the buds harvested due to staffing shortages. Uh, because some of the some of the kids that help her on the farm every year, they had to go back to school. So she said this was the first time they ever set their farm up to pick your own. They had people come out and picking their own flower because she said the field was beautiful, but it was all flowers, and normally it's all buds that they're harvesting to sell. So uh, they were at least uh, able to recoup a little bit of everything and do that so uh, so anyway thanks to wayne and patty out at cool cash uh, for donating a couple of peony roots uh, thanks to kenai feed sarah at kenai feed sarah and rupert for donating a, a 50 dollars gift certificate there and thanks to mel's bakery uh, for a couple of uh, really nice t-shirts and uh, i tell you what i'd almost uh, man i could i could put a if i could put a bed and a bathroom in the back part of of their store I might live down there where my wife and I and friends are there all the time so so anyway uh, think about that uh, what what better thing what better thing to do is donate fifty a hundred dollars and potentially get fifty dollars back uh, fifty or a hundred dollars and potentially get a thirty dollar value peony root, especially if you want to grow uh, grow a peony. And I, I told you I told you guys last show that I finally I got my mind cut. My peony roots are cut. I've got mulch on top of them. They're ready to go for the winter, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully they'll uh, they'll sprout up in the spring with no trouble, and uh, and we'll we'll be moving along we'll be moving along there. So. Uh, we'll uh, we'll do that, and uh, hopefully we'll have uh, we'll have some great peonies again this year. They're they've gotten big enough. I'm going to have to support them this year. They're growing so well that uh, I'm I'm actually going to have to put cages around them. You know, I'll probably put a couple of uh, of those good big tomato cages around them uh, to support them because uh, we got a little bit of wind and they flat popped over and uh, and uh, just had a just had a heck of a time with them so well we're coming up to the top of the hour uh this has been a good a good first hour of growing a greener keen eye and my guest mitch michaud just walked in the room and we are going to uh do a station identification and then we're going to be talking to mitch uh and there again uh uh, we'll be back in just a second here. This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, 
KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Please give us a call at 907-513-1996. And the, the gifts I have, they're also good for folks that donate this hour from 1 to 2. And uh, depending on how many folks we have, we'll just do just like last year. We put your name in a bucket and we draw it out. And if you win, you've got a, you've got a, a, a nice gift certificate or whatever. So, well, all right, folks, I want to welcome Mitch Michaud uh, to KDLL. Mitch, thanks for coming in for the second hour of Growing a Greener Kenai. Thank you, Larry. It's just great to be here. Uh, it's a beautiful day. It was nice and cool. And, and again, I drove by the key, KDLL uh, access road or the driveway so oh you missed it i missed it again and i miss it all of the time the reason i mentioned that is because things do grow here and i remember when kdl moved here from the flight line studio down by the airport and uh this was a newly constructed building they got a great deal there's a wonderful partnership between kdll and um the edd and uh and the trees grew and you, people wouldn't notice it, but those trees have grown every year. So, you know, you can grow things. You can grow trees here. Uh, I was listening to you er- earlier as I was doing some chores in my shop, and, and I was listening to you talking about growing trees. So, yeah, we can grow a lot of trees. The question is, will they survive to be become old and ripe or old and sturdy or whatever a tree is? Right, and if I remember, Mitch, you were a forester by trade, right? Yeah, yep. I, I was. And one of the things is that... Uh, uh, I worked for an agricultural organization. I worked for the Soil and Water Conservation District in Maine, which is anecdotally the chairman of that board was Bill and Elaine Howell's neighbor in China, Maine. And we only found that out when I came here. And I said, you know, we, I probably drove by your house maybe about uh, 30 times a month just trying to get out to visit the farmers. Up. So I worked in, in, in agriculture in a very agricultural state, and I did a lot of agricultural work. Chickens, cows, organic cows. Uh, Johnny Selected Seed. Uh, uh, Rob Johnson, the former owner, uh, I was there when he started uh, Johnny Selected Seed. Oh, a lot of people, we, we love Johnny Selected Seeds. Right. Yeah. And, and he started from an old farm, and he built the soil up, and he picked the soil, he picked the farm based on it being an upland, very rolling, with some pretty good slopes. And he was looking to capture that extra uh, solar gradient. Because uh, those southwestern uh, facing slopes are much more suitable for growing many things. So, uh, so, so if you happen to live on a south to southwest facing slope, you might have a potential for a nice garden. And it doesn't need to be flat. No, it doesn't need to be flat. That's uh, that's uh, that's some of the things. That, and now, obviously, depending on the slope, but uh, there's there's ways to have a garden even on a steep slope by building terraces and uh, what the many ways many ways to do it. Or you can even uh, for farmers, they used to plow parallel to the keep the water from running down and prevent soil erosion, and it, those furrows actually kind of grab the rain and uh, stabilize the slope after the plants get in. You know, so it, yeah, you're right, Mitch. It doesn't have to be flat it ground. Need to be flat. And sometimes a little drainage is great. That's right. Yeah. So That's a lot right. of you're talking about uh, growing potatoes. I grew up. My uh, grandfather was a potato farmer. And one of the things is you always put your potato rows slightly downhill so mm-hmm. you didn't have ponding in between between your your rows. Because if you have ponding, then, you know, if it stays there long enough, you end up with rotting. Rotting, rotting potatoes. potatoes. You know, uh, Mitch, my wife and I, I mentioned this on the last show, we uh, we just got back from about a month being gone. We went to uh, Great Britain, and, and uh, we were in France for a little bit and uh, did a cruise around the islands and everything. And normally I would have harvested my potatoes 
the first week of October about then. Well, I, I went ahead and did them the first week of September because we were going to be gone, and I was really worried about them getting rained on and being in their containers and rotting. I thought about putting a tarp over them, and then I just I just decided to harvest them a month early. And they were starting to wilt anyway, you know, so there really wasn't much going to be much tuber uh, development anymore. Uh, and and it worked just fine, you know. It it, it was it was okay. But I, uh, you might know, I absolutely love growing potatoes. Just love potatoes. Right. As a kid, I grew up. Uh, all the kids they would close the schools in uh, mid September so that the high school kids could, or, or elementary school kids, could go harvest harvest potatoes. It was uh, it was that type of agricultural community. Well, how many acres did your did your dad farm? Uh, my grandfather he had about 100, 120 acres. And then, and then it didn't work out for him. Then he went down to Florida and decided to grow potatoes there. And didn't work out. But today, Florida is a big potato growing it state. Is. Yeah, it so. is. Well, and they've got the, uh, you got to amend it a little bit, but they got good loose soil. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things I tell people, too, is, you know, you can grow a potato in clay, but it's going to fight against that clay. Mm-hmm. So the, the looser and well-draining right. soil you'll have, you'll have a much better potato crop. Much better. Yeah, uh, in central Maine, uh, there would always be this animosity between the the the, uh, the row crop farmers, which were mostly potatoes, and the dairy and the, and the dairymen, because you know you can grow hay and you can grow potatoes. You don't need a lot of heat for either one of them. You don't have to be tropical. Right. And uh, boy, those dairy farmers did not like those potato farmers because what the potato farmers do is that they work real hard getting the crop in. And then they work real hard getting the crop out, and the rest of it is recreational tractor tillage they would get up and till constantly that's how you control your weeds through uh, tillage and then in winter would come the potatoes that was harvested all the farmers who did it had a great crop would go on vacation and those dairy farmers worked every single day yeah and uh, boy there was a and trying to get a relationships between them because the farmers the potato farmers had some needed something that the dairy farmers had and the dairy farmers needed something that the that the uh, potato guys needed, and that was changing land for manure. Right, right. And the, and the potato farmers needed to have the farmers come in and put uh, grass crops on it for uh, for a rotation. And they also needed all that manure because potatoes are pretty heavy feeders. They are. Yeah. So you know there was all those nutrients in the and and then you've got dairy farmers that are essentially throwing it away not throwing it they they reapply it on their fields but there's always more more than more more. than they can use i've watched i've just uh, mentioned in this first hour if you heard that my wife and i we love to watch some of these shows on youtube of commercial farming and the absolute gigantic machines they use nowadays and they had the biggest manure spreader I have ever seen in my life. It was, I was like, oh, my God, that's a lot of poop getting flung out there on that field. Oh, yeah, yeah. Commercially, it's pretty wild. That was one of my offices I, wor- I worked with. We had an expert on, on manure management. And Dick would always, he was the one who would convince farmers to actually add, like, a, a million gallons of water to their manure storage so that they could pump it and spray it out on irrigation, which was more efficient then except you don't make a lot of friends with your neighbors when you're out no. there spraying liquid manure out on your on your hay fields. So. And uh, you know, uh, many many years ago, uh, back in the back in the early late seventies and early eighties, I I was studying environmental health, environmental science, and I had another career uh, and I was going to school part time. Then I quit, went and, and changed changed career. But 
that was one of the things back then that people uh, you they everybody wanted to get manure everybody wanted it and we had one farmer that we went out and we we saw his farm he gave us a tour when I was a, a student and it was basically an alternative he built this big greenhouse and he ran his feedlot waste excuse me through the greenhouse using water lilies and he basically built his own constructed wetlands and the manure and urine would go through by the time it got to the end of the greenhouse it was coming out nice clear water and uh, that was his treatment method uh, of 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 treating his uh, uh, his uh, cattle waste right right one of the things and I'll and I'll put a plug in here for um, for a donation your for Collins for at 907-513-1996 and and the allegory I'm going to have is that you know a farm is a closed system where you have energy going in and then you have something going out and what the issue is is that if you have more going out than you have energy going in, and the energy is both from the sunlight, from the water, and the fertilizer, then you end up with a deficiency. Because it, So you have to balance the whole thing. So if you think about public radio, in a way, it's kind of you have to have a closed cycle. You have to have enough coming in that actually compensates for everything that's going out. And today we're here talking about this, and this, this doesn't happen for free. You know, I'm a volunteer. You're, sure. You're a volunteer. But, you know, all the lights are on in the studio, and we're broadcasting over I don't know how many watts we're putting out. And, uh, and an input that is needed to make this a sustainable system, just like a good, well-managed farm, is a donation from all of the folks who are benefiting it for right now. So uh, call in, 907-513-1996. You know uh, that's a good point, Mitch. And one of the things, uh, uh, one of the things I did as a hobby, and then I went to school for it too, was, for instance, alternative energy and recycling and what have you like that. And what people don't realize is, like you said, the lights are on here. That's money being spent, energy being used. We drove over here. We spent gasoline. We spent fuel to get here. Uh, but but all those things, farming. I mean, all those things use energy to make energy and like you said is it a zero-sum gain or is it you lose it on one side or the other right yeah definitely and you know and that's how agriculture i was listening to you as was driving in that you know why did we start doing agriculture why i mean essentially we were scavengers probably and then and then we started hunting and then we started gathering and it was an efficiency it was easier to raise the cow next to your cave or your hut than it was to go chase after the cow. And in Alaska, this is wonderful, we talk about subsistence and, and the idea, and that's the idea what subsistence is. It's all about managing the energy and the input for what you get out. And you know, we have a great system here. We have the great fishery, right? You don't have to put a lot in to get a lot of protein, a lot of energy out. Uh, if you're in, a, um, some, in the prairies and you gotta go catch a buffalo to keep yourself fed, there's a lot of energy that goes into catching. So now you're actually cooperatively hunting. And then eventually you start growing, you know, a million acres of corn and soybeans on these pl great plains because it's more efficient than right. having ranging buffalo. And I, and I don't mean to diss the whole idea of right, right. raising buffalo, but, you know, those soybeans could be fed to a moose, which you, you could produce. But they figured out it was more efficient to do it with a, with a hog. Or a, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't realize either when we, uh, if you heard me talking about, uh, the very few things that were indigenous to the Americas, 
uh, agriculture-wise. Well, there are also other things. You know, for instance, a lot of people don't realize that bees, honeybees, are not native to North America. They are European. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, I mean, the bees have been been here for about 300 years. Uh, They brought them over. You know, the Europeans brought them over. Now they've spread nationwide, worldwide, pretty Mm -hmm. much, and they're an important part of our agriculture. But they're not, they're not, they're not native. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned that uh, this was a pretty tough year for honey growers in oh, in, it was in Alaska, and uh, and I grow I grow apple trees, which is another story in itself. But uh, you know, I wasn't expecting any crop because when those blooms were out, the honeybees were still in their hives, right. being fed supplemental sugar, and they were trying to be kept warm, and I got really good pollination and it wasn't from honeybees it was from our native bees and alaska right. has 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 the largest variety of right. native bees than any other state in the in the country in the u.s and you know i tried a couple of years ago uh if you know what leaf cutter bees are mm-hmm. mason bees yes. um i tried i ordered some from washington state and i tried them up here and they just didn't work it, they were ready to come out of their cocoons but there's nothing for them to eat. I tried. I I tried. Tried it two years. No luck, because all the research I did on it was that a mason bee, a leaf cutter bee, a bumblebee. Uh, not that honeybees aren't uh, imperative to have for for pollinating our crops, but they will pollinate fifty to one flowers for the one that a honeybee does. And there are also quite a few of them that are more efficient than honeybees, but they've become the standard now. Like people are even uh, leasing or putting their hives out in farmer fields. They hire them to go out there to help help pollinate their crops. Right, yeah, it's just, uh, so uh, I guess we're a very diverse state. We probably don't think we are from an agricultural standpoint, but we are pretty pretty diverse. And there's a lot of things that uh, permaculture, you know, we have people are, you know, I grow apples because I like to plant something that, I don't need to replant every year and, and people grow berries because, you know, once that investment is there, right. you have some, you know, there's a, quite a few crops that are uh, perennial in nature and you can, and some of our annuals are kind of perennial in a way if you ever try to get them to go back, you know, so. Yeah. And do you, uh, on your apple trees, do you have some uh, good fencing around? I them have and... a lot of good fencing. Yeah. I, I, it's uh, eight feet tall and it's got a half a mile of, of half a mile charger on maybe a tenth acre um, I, I, I designed it around the uh, ADFNG bear fence that uh-huh. keeps a bear out of your campsite or out of your out of your out of your compost pile or out of your uh, chicken coop and if if it can drop a bear it will definitely scare a moose away yeah that's for sure that's for sure well folks I want to uh, I want to give a shout out to a couple of folks that uh, did a, gave us a couple of donations we got Bonnie cracked uh, K-R-A-G-T, I hope, uh, Bonnie, that I said that name right, and Christy Bullock. Uh, Bonnie did hers online, and Christy did a call in. We want to thank you for uh, for donating to KDLL. And don't forget, folks, that number is 907-513-1996 or kdll.org uh, for donating. And Bonnie and Christy will be in there for, for some good prizes here coming up pretty soon. So uh, we need uh, we need to get more folks. We need to get more folks doing this. Uh, like I said, if you donate $50, you got a chance to win $50. So uh, that would be a zero-sum game, nothing out of your pocket in the long run. 
I'm looking through this list of sustaining members, and I see that Maria and Mark Dixon are listed. Thank you, Maria and Mark. And they are big gardeners, and they have a high tunnel in their, at their place. And so does Diane Taylor, who's on the KDLL board. Her and her husband, Dan, uh, are beekeepers, and they have a fairly large garden also. So, uh, so the um, the uh, gardening community is very well uh, represented. As, it is, as and, and I just got a note that uh, Jane uh, Conway, thank you very much for becoming a, a member of KDL. Jane, we appreciate that so much, and uh, you'll be in there for uh, one of these prizes we got coming. All right, thank you, Jane. I hope things are going well at the farm. At the farm, um, that is. Uh, so anyway, as we were talking, you had some questions for me, and I you, you talked about planting trees or something. Oh and, yeah, and, and I and I thought oh, I'm a. Uh, Larry's going you know, to yeah I know I, I thought boy this is perfect for for Mitch uh, you know I saw I think it was on Facebook uh, somebody had a handful they're growing hazelnuts up here and you know from from my standpoint and, and you know not to get into the political issue of climate change but if climate change is there that's going to change the agricultural structure of the state of Alaska I mean uh, Trees, uh, nut trees, potentially oaks, hickory, all that. You know, and I was just curious uh, what your thoughts are on on that. On that, I'll I'll, I'll address the climate change thing because this is one of the things I do now that I'm I'm, I'm retired. I spend a lot of time uh, working with folks on cli climate change issues, and uh, and one of the latest uh, uh, trails I've been following is how people are dealing with climate change, and there's and there's there's it comes down to three different ways. You, you just ignore the problem and hope it goes away, and that's called denial. And then you can come back and you say, well, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put a high tunnel up. I'm going to I'm going to mitigate the effects of climate change. I'm going to I'm going to start doing I'm going to start putting more cooling plants in my greenhouses. You know, we never talked about cooling too much, but you know, cooling is just as important as as, as heat in any of any of these uh, uh, greenhouse op operations. And the last one is called adaptation. And adapting means that, yes, I'm still going to do what I can. I'm still going to write, drive a fuel-efficient vehicle, but I'm going to be preparing for what is going to happen. And it is happening. And and so I, I tell everybody, says, you know, don't deny it, mitigate and and adapt. And and you adapt by planting new crops, or you're taking advantage of it. I think I tell folks, it says, you know, can you imagine having an extra 10 growing days? In, in Alaska, and we've almost got that because when I got here, I think we had 105 growing days. And Casey at Extension Service will tell you growing days don't work here in Alaska because our days are so long. So it's kind of hard to. So our days, a day in Alaska is more than a day in Maine, right? Because it's a longer, a longer day. But we 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 got an extra 10 growing days. So we used to be 105, which was the minimum for growing potatoes, and now we're up to 110, 115 days, and that introduces a whole bunch of crops. They tried to grow commercial broccoli in Anchor Point, and Al Poindexter, who runs uh, Anchor Point Greenhouses, uh, would talk about how he and his father had tried to grow broccoli commercially. And, and now Al says, you know, if somebody wanted to do commercial broccoli, they could probably do it now. So now we have an opportunity. From, from Do you know if they grow commercial broccoli out in the valley? Uh, I think they do. You know, because they, you know, they're growing the other brassicas, potatoes and cabbage and uh, not uh, brassica, but lettuce and and stuff, but yeah, I, I had never really seen. Uh, it's a uh, with. I'm not an, an agronomist, but yeah. being around enough of them, uh, we. It's all about the heat. 
it's it's really you know if we have a long enough days but if it gets too warm and we found that out the past few years when we had those really warm summers things were bolting right away you know the the, the, the plant would just start flowering and next you know it's producing seed and so uh coolness but we can adapt to that we can mitigate that oh well, you bet we, we can we, we, we you bet we can we, we, we can adjust the fields we can start using windbreaks and shelter belts and and, and you know that, that, that's one of the things i tell new gardeners when i when i'm talking to folks about have you gardened before you know and and you heard me on wednesday night tell folks you know grow what you like if you hate broccoli don't grow broccoli but what i also what, what i also tell them is be sure you do a little research either with the extension center with knowledgeable local gardeners and i say you know you're you're not going to grow an avocado tree up here you know there's certain things that no matter how much unless you've got a high dollar heated greenhouse with lighting it's not going to grow up here mm -hmm. and that's what i tell folks too is be sure that what you're growing like one of the things i've tried to grow that i didn't have luck with last year i'm going to try it again this year is peanuts mm. i'm i'm trying peanuts uh container growing peanuts and i don't know if it was if i got bad seed or what but i i was not successful so i'll try it again next year they'll be in my greenhouse in a container and i'll i'll give peanuts a try again you know but are peanuts going to grow outdoors here in alaska unlikely right yeah, they're, yeah. it's just not going to happen how now. many days how yeah there's the days it's the heat it's yeah they're, they're, that's not going to happen up here right yeah and that's uh one of the things the local you know we talk about big ag corporate ag there's a there's a movement it's the local food group there's a lot of uh folks in alaska that are breeding tomatoes mm -hmm. and they're saying and you go up to the valleys you know we don't see them too much here but if you go up to palmer and wasilla and stop at some of the local garden stores there you'll see people that are selling their own uh hybrids and they're and they're doing and rusty foraker who used to be the agronomist with the uh, plant materials center is is just a big tomato breeder and he says somebody should take a black beauty and cross it with a polar star and see what they get and, and tomato breeding is fun. You're playing Frank, Dr. Frankenstein. Yes, you are. And you never know what you're going to get. And some folks are coming out with some great stuff out of Palmer and Wasilla, even in Fairbanks. Uh, there's a, and everybody's trying to find that tomato you can grow without a greenhouse. And I've tried. I've purchased a couple of tomatoes that were, um, oh, uh, one's called Arctic, one's Polar. Oh, I just lost the second part of the name. But anyway, the seed came out of Russia. And they're supposed to be cold weather tomatoes. Well, they grew and they grew pretty well, but it was just too cold. They would not set fruit. They absolutely wouldn't set. They flowered well, but they they wouldn't set fruit. And I did hand pollination, mm. you know. And I I pollinate my tomatoes in my greenhouse. I've got a I bought a little kid's uh, two dollar electric toothbrush, put it on a pole, and I've told our listeners this before. One of my neighbors, a little neighbor kid down the way, I asked him one day. I says, uh, "Harvey, would you like to, uh, would you like to fool Mother Nature?" I go, "All these flowers are going to think this is a bee. So if you take this and touch every one of those flowers," and he just had a heck of a time. He's laughing in my greenhouse, going, "I'm fooling the plants. I'm fooling the plants. I got that little guy to pollinate every single flower in the greenhouse." Yeah. No, there's there's a there's a lot said, and people are 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 pushing things, you know, and sure. that, and you know, and, and tomatoes is because I grew tomatoes in in New England, and our problem there was heat, right? Because, because once the temperature goes over like ninety four degrees, 
that you have uh, blossom abortions. And then, and, and you'll see, and you could see in my row in my greenhouse, all the tomatoes. I had this like at four and a half feet. I didn't have a single tomato. I had them above, I had below. I knew what happened when those blossoms came out. It says I left the door shut on the greenhouse. Yeah. And that just, it didn't kill the whole plant. It just that part, right. the heat got a little too high. Too hot. And, and then on the other side, you had the flip side, you had the cold. And you could see that happened later in the year when you, uh, when you it was started getting getting colder, so and I, I uh, I'm from Missouri originally, central and and southwest Missouri, and I grew a lot of tomatoes back then. And back in that part of the country, if you see somebody's farm, I don't know about out east, you see somebody's garden or something, you go by and there'll be all these stakes around their tomatoes, and everybody uses old sheets, and there'll be all these white sheets covering their tomatoes to shade them out of that heat. And uh, and I'll tell you what, Mitch. Uh, one year, uh, got to spend almost forty years ago. I took a fifty-five gallon barrel. I cut it in half. I went to a feedlot and got a hundred percent horse and uh, horse waste yep. feedlot. Put it in the barrel. I put three uh, cherry tomato plants in it, and I had to run string up to the second-story fascia board of my house. And I grew these tomatoes. They finally got up to the, they went up to the uh, eave of the house, and they kept going and going until they finally got hot and they bent over. Uh, I had tomato uh, vines were over 17 feet long, and I was picking tomatoes out of my second story window. These little, little uh, cherry tomatoes, but I had to every morning before I went to work, I watered that barrel, and the water would run out the bottom. And then every day I got home, I watered, but they grew like there's no tomorrow and I have three plants and then my regular uh and other uh, tomato it got about eight feet tall with regular full-size tomatoes on it you know so that was a tough one for me moving up here it's like I can't get tomatoes to grow but I could also grow something here that I couldn't grow back there and that was celery oh yeah right that's a that's a um yeah I think I'm not sure that's kind of but I think the commercial celery growers do multiple crops in a year. It's kind of a rotation, especially in California. Because it, it just got too hot back yep. there to and grow they, celery. And they just roll them. So I heard you talk about your 12-foot tall tomatoes. And I had that problem when I started growing tomatoes in a, in a, in a high tunnel. And my friend Ted, who is a whole, I'll tell you about Ted. You're a lot like, like Ted experimenting on, on things. And, uh, and I told Ted, I says, I really, this is great, the high tunnel, I'm growing all these, you know, eggplant and tomatoes and hot peppers. And I said, but the tomatoes, I got to get a new stepladder. And he said, what do you mean you need a new stepladder? And he says, don't you know tomatoes are vines? Right. And he says, what you need to do is you put, you tie off the top of the tomato. Right. And then when it reaches the height that you can't reach, you let the line down. Right. And you let it down a little bit every day. And then, and he showed me in his greenhouses. He, the, you coil it. They would coil up. So yep. he said, I don't want to be, I don't have time. I'm a market gardener. I don't have time to be moving step letters. I want to pick everything at eye level. My back is bad. Uh, and, you know, and it, you can do it, but you got to bring them down all the yeah. time. You got to always be bringing them down. And I've seen that's how a lot of the commercial guys do it. And you'll see. Uh, if if you, I think if you stretch them out, there's someone they had to be 25 feet long. Yeah. Yeah, they'll grow forever. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, be sure the folks know that those are the indeterminate tomatoes right. that are yeah. going like, to grow like that. Yeah. You know, but uh, oh yeah, there's there's ways to do it, and uh, it uh, 
It it works. I've I've done both. Grow, uh, I just grew determinants this year. I didn't mess with any indeterminants. Right, right. You know, as we're talking about height, there's uh, through cooperative extension. There's a young lady who graduated from Sohaya Soldana High School, uh, Deshana York, and she works with cooperative extension. And she works on a program on gardening for gardening with disabilities. And you'll see her at some of the fairs, and she'll have some friends and have some tools that let people who have arthritis be able to garden correctly. And she talks about height, about raising things and lowering sure. things. And they're doing that at the food bank, I guess, uh, with those larger uh, raised beds, but they're actually on tables. And, right. And, and, and that's for accommodating people with disabilities. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if all our seniors, I'm, I'm almost considered a senior, but I won't ever admit it, uh, that they could take their retirement years and grow food. Right. And if I remember, uh, the Heritage House, the nursing home here in town, they bought quite a few of those where people can go up with their wheelchair and go right under them and garden at, at their level. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what a great way to, to, to uh, what a great hobby. A lifetime oh, absolutely. hobby, but but especially as you as you get older. And where I grew up in Maine, the best gardeners were always the folks that were old. By the way, and, and you and I are getting there, so we we're getting better. I think with getting age. there. Yeah. I'm there, man. <laughs> I'm there. Uh, well, don't forget, folks. Give us a call at nine zero seven five one three one nine nine six or kdll.org. We still got some good prizes to give away here at the end of the at the end of the show, and we would. Uh, Certainly, uh, certainly like to have you as a membership uh, member or a donator to KDLL, a sustaining member. And once again, uh, I, uh, my wife and I, we do our donation once every six months. And for every person that donates in the two hours I'm doing the show, we're going to bump up our donation, our every six month donation, a little bit higher than what it is right now. So uh, call in and. Uh, as I said, uh, you call in and donate $50, you got a chance to win a $50 gift certificate. So uh, if you're a gardener, uh, having $50 at Kenai Feed is a great, great prize for you to, uh, to get ready for next year. Right. Yeah, we were talking about climate change, and I'll give you, for those of you who are benefiting from an increased growing season and, and uh, the shoulder seasons, especially it's springtime is so much better. Uh, one of the issues at KDLL is that our... Uh, tower, our broadcast tower, is located in an area that has very deep permafrost. And that permafrost is slowly thawing. I don't think the tower will ever be a great garden site because it's, I think it's a wetland. But uh, uh, because of that, there's going to be a substantial investment that's going to have to be made to secure that tower down. We're not going to take it down, I guess. We're saying we because uh, everybody who supports KDLL are part of this larger, larger family. And there's a whole plan about getting some uh, uh, circular spiral discs that will go deep down to hold hold that tower up. And I think uh, one of one of the guidelines is now starting to show a lot of a lot of slack, and and that's not a good sign. And can you imagine waking up one day after a large windstorm, which we tend to have more often now, you bet. that you don't have KDL Public Radio? They still broadcast online, but I tell you, I still like. Turn my car radio. You bet. I used to turn the car radio on, and if uh, if we lose that tower, there's no more of that until it would get fixed, and who knows how long it would take to get fixed. Right. I remember uh, station manager uh, Jenny was telling me about the the slack in the in the guy wires uh, that they they need to get that worked on a little bit, and that's one of the things that your membership will help us take care of. 
Yeah, there's a little uh, cheat sheets here, and I think the number is about one hundred and ten thousand dollars over it would take to complete it, even though it's not needed one hundred and ten right now. But uh, they could do it successively over a number of years. But that's kind of the ongoing price. And and if you've been listening to KDLL, you find out about what happens when uh, construction uh, estimators tell you, you know, our our Cooper Landing bypass missed the mark by. 25%, and then the uh, Soldatna Fieldhouse, Fieldhouse, that missed it by 20%. $18 million, yeah. yeah. So uh, even though we're talking about one hundred and ten grand, which is a drop in a bucket compared to a highway project or a fieldhouse, you know, if we don't fix it sooner, it's going to cost us more later. We fix it now? or You know, that, that reminds me of the, remember the old uh, TV commercials of where the, the mechanic would put the car up on the lift and he'd take the oil plug out and the oil would come out and he'd say, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Yeah. And it's best to do it now right? if right. we can get it fixed. Yeah. Plus it, uh, plus it uh, keeps listeners in the know. It keeps uh, all the more resources for folks to listen to KDLL. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and KDLL and all uh, – Public radio stations and commercial radio stations have a responsibility to the FCC in times of emergencies and, and crisis. And that's why things like if the power goes out, it'd be really good to have a generator that works. And KDLL, is, we were fortunate because we did have some issues a few years ago. And I got I, savvy as to how to listen to KDLL on the Internet. Well, if you lost the Internet, you would still have right. broadcasts. So think about how important communications is. Uh, just you bet. Look, look at what's going on in the world. You know, the first thing that happens in the coup is you take over the radio station, which brings me to a really great book to read. <laughs> <laughs> about it's called the the Agronomist, and it's about an agronomist from Haiti who was a university who during the uh, Jean Claude Duvalier coup, uh, baby doc, a, baby doc. And uh, the agronomist showed up at the radio station, and he kept the radio broadcasting through the whole coup. And 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 they said, "Who is this guy?" And he says, "I'm the agronomist." So it's a it's a. I think they made a movie out of it too. So if you, yeah, it's a yeah, plant guy. Yeah. What are they you, doing? you know, Mitch, have you have you heard any more? I haven't. Uh, like I said, I haven't. I've been gone a little bit, and I I haven't checked here lately. Have you heard any more about the property up the Tanana? Uh, the property that the state released, they built a high dollar bridge for access. And have you heard anything about the status of that? Uh, it is it is moving forward. Right. And some of the issues, and this is uh, the the organization that you and you were once involved mm-hmm. with, and you're still you're, you're still a, a resource to us. The Soil and Water Conservation District, the a conservation district in Fairbanks, is is up on top of that. And one of the issues is they want to promote large-scale industrial ag or commercial right. ag. It's all commercial industrial. Alaska, you can't, you know, it's, it's um, is it a billion dollars? We're not going to talk to you if it's anything less. But they, the, the concern was these were so large then that these blocks that um, small farmers wouldn't be able to use it. So they were trying to get the size down so you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't have to buy a 160-acre minimum. You could buy a 40-acre minimum. Well, what happens then is that, well, if somebody will buy 40 acres, I, I could go buy 40 acres in that Tanada project and, and then put a farm up and never really grow anything. I got a great price for a, for a 40. I mean, that's great. And I have my little... Well, that's preserve. one of the things they're trying to prevent is that people aren't buying that just to have a place to go hunt on their own property or something. Right. So that's kind of... And they're doing it by requiring it. But the bridge is built. The soils are great. Mm-hmm. And it's just how would you administer it? And and we we have all through the Kenai Peninsula we have agricultural um, um, 
agricultural land. It's land that is tied up through a covenant because the land was purchased in the 1950s through some of the many, there was a few programs. And some of them became farms and some of them didn't. And that's, and that's an interesting uh, conundrum. And now these lands are now being encroached on by development. And now the borough which actually had some land trades. And, that, and these lands are now borough lands. And then the borough is going to be disposing of it. And, and, it's, and the whole intent was to try to maintain food security and, and, and then maintain some growing capacity. And uh, and it's really hard for you know for somebody on the Kenai Peninsula to get well, twenty acres. Well, and it's tough. And in and whether you're talking the Tanana project, you're talking out at Delta, or you're talking down here, you know the, you know like there's a, I think there there was one farm out in Delta, about five six thousand acres that was for sale. I don't know if it still is, but they wanted like seven million dollars for it. Well, a thirty year old kid, wanting to be a farmer. How is that guy, same way up at Tanana, if they're buying a bigger piece of property up there, how is a kid like that going to come up with the funds? It's got to be a ton of grant money. But 30 okay, he can't afford a $7 million farm to, to yeah. become a farmer in Alaska. Not to mention, uh, it seems like the only thing they can grow out in Delta is barley. Is about it. You know, so... You know, raise, they're raising cattle. You know, the the uh, the, uh, the Plagermans are doing milk, uh, the Wrigleys are doing their barley, and Alaska Flour Company. But uh, and and like I said, they are some uh, raising some cattle. But it's uh, it's tough for a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have we have a farm. I see it in, advertised in the real estate ads up in Funny River. It's a, you know, I'm just waiting. I think we had one sell last year, which was a, a small. Uh, 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 truck farm, I call it a truck farm or market farm garden, and it really successful. And, and talking to the uh, the former owner, his issue was labor. Sure. Is that, is that, he said, I'd love to do this, but I'm 75 years old now, and I can't do this forever. Right, and, uh, and I don't know if you heard driving in, uh, talking about Wayne and Patty at Cool Cash. Same way, they're, uh, you know, normally they, they cut their peonies on buds and sell them, ship them out. Well, the warm weather hit. All their helpers, the kids, had to go back to school. The boys are playing football. They had to, for the first time ever, they did a uh, come out and pick your own uh, because the field was full of bloomed flowers. And they don't go that, but they couldn't find enough people to get out there and work and cut. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a shame, but it's it's the... It's all through the U.S. Yeah, you know? it's everywhere. Yep, yeah. I mean, it's I, absolutely everywhere. And in, in in New England, you know, talking about apples, you know, they would have um, migrant workers coming up from right. from Haiti, and I would always get a call from my district board chairman, who was who was largely the largest Macintosh grower in the country at, at at one time. And Norm gives me a call, and he says, "Oh, how's the harvest going?" So, oh, it's great. It's great that you know the the, the guys are just working really hard and you know good crop and high quality and he says i need five goats and i said you need five goats what do you need five goats for he says to have a barbecue because at the end of the season i promised them that if, if 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 we got this all in we would have a and what do you want and they're all from haiti and, and jamaica and you know goat bar and he thought i would knew where i could go find them. <laughs> and i said i can find them but i think they're all milking goats and you really can't go tell these folks you're buying all of these milking goats yeah for barbecue for, for barbecue yeah but but that was really important to have uh have those migrant workers coming in and it was very well 
well done. It, I mean, the feds managed it correctly. You had to run an ad in the paper. Is there anybody local who would want to do this? You had to have high-quality housing. They had wonderful bunkhouses with cook, associated cooking facilities. Uh, it's not what you would ex what you would read in the in the news. It's not all bad news, but it was important. And these folks work all the way down from Florida all the way up up to Maine. Oh, you bet. Picking and, different crops. And you know that was some of the stuff. Like I told you, I'd like to watch. Uh, some of the farming the with the the machine technology and they were showing that to harvesting apples a giant machine that shakes the tar out of the tree there's this thing that expands underneath the tree they fall on that and they convey her up into into another thing to put them in the in the totes yep. you know so is that good or bad i don't know you know if with uh with lack of help with lack of labor it seems like it's the right thing to do but you would also think that there's probably a group of people that are having trouble finding migrant workers having trouble finding work that they're like well if we'd have known we'd have been there right you yes. know yeah. right. and you need volume and it's going to hard and right. alaska's really hard we have the issue with from a forestry standpoint with uh tree planting there's, they plant trees all up and down the west coast but getting up to alaska is really difficult because we don't have the volume of trees to support 25 uh, uh, tree planters to come up here, no matter if they're local or if they're from uh, Central and South America, we don't have the volume. Right, and and that. I don't know, I don't know if climate change is going to make a difference in this, but the numbers I've always seen, we've everybody's talked about, is that only about five percent of our food is produced in Alaska, uh, the valley, and a few market farms and what what have you 95 percent needs to be brought in and it is a it can be a concern we get another 64 earthquake with runways damage with uh, the port damaged uh just a shift in mud and we're sitting there with potentially uh, a long wait before food gets into the state right 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 speaking of that there's a local foods group that meets on a regular basis. And they had a campaign which is modeled after other states. And and I try to do this as much as I can. And they says they want every family in the community to spend $20 a week on local food. And if you think about it, you can go to the farmer's market and you can find something. You know, oh, easy. Eat, easy, easy, easy. And I'd like to go back to KDLL. So, you know, think you. about $20 a week for, right. for supporting KDLL. And that would be uh, 20 times... Fifty-two. Well, it's is, a thousand bucks. Thousand, yeah, so it's a thousand dollars. Yeah, that is thousand thousand and forty dollars. Thousand and it's a ten forty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but if you think about it, that's not a lot, and it shames me too. By the way, when I think about it, for only twenty dollars a week, and and yeah. I and, and and you're supporting local radio, you're supporting uh, news staff, um, you know, you're you some aspiring young journalists that are here. Uh, you're allowing some computer equipment that I see behind you that are the little flashing lights in the bars. Uh, that is all part of what it takes to run a public radio station. And you got guys like me and you that volunteer, and we have a lot of volunteers at KDLL, but all that, all that helps, and every bit of that helps. The volunteering helps where the funds can be put to better use. You know, not that... You don't want to pay people, right. you know, but but volunteering is uh, it's so important. And that you're right. Uh, you know, I used to do when I was working, I did the, what's called the combined federal campaign. And that's what I gave every year was well, we got paid every two weeks, but I gave forty dollars a paycheck and that worked out to thousand and forty dollars a year 
for donation. Right. And you don't even see it. Yep. You don't even see it coming out of your check. Yep. So that's actually, and, and I felt kind of bad that a couple of years ago I had set up the every six month, you heard me say that yeah, on them. Right. I set it up and it's only $50. And then I'm like, $50, that's just a little over $8 a month. I'm bumping that up. You know, that's just absolutely ridiculous. And I just did it kind of as a spur of the moment, and then I forgot about it. And I'll tell you what, folks, yeah, I mean, give us a call, 907-513-1996. I'm going to bump up my wife and I every six months. You can also do it once a month. It'll go to your credit card. You can write a check once a month if you want, but it's out of sight, out of mind with the credit card. And and you do want to manage your finances, but... That's that's nothing, you know, uh, $10, $20 a month, $30 a month. That actually in the long run, that's pennies. Yep. That's pennies. When yep. you look at a, a dollar a day. Dollar a day, $365. Dollar a yep. day, yep. that is absolutely nothing. You don't, you, it's hard to get a cup of coffee. Well, I know where you can get a cup of coffee for a dollar, but. Uh, oh my God, where's that? <laughs> the secret. Uh, but if you think about that, just those, I'd say it's, yeah. a, it's a daily expense for a lot of folks. You'll go to our many, you know, coffee shops here. We all have our, our, our favorites. And uh, you could brew it your own, but you really can't brew your own news. You can't really brew your right. own uh, 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 candidate forum. You know, you you just you can't sit there. Yes, you could drive to the borough building and listen to the borough assembly, but right. it's much easier and much more enjoyable doing that at your home. By the way, I think right. It's uh, and that's a, that's another one of the things that uh, the technology of a place like KDLL they set these up. Then they can you can if you miss them, you can watch them later. And uh, but all that all that technology costs money. And that's where we really need the help to support KDLL. So yeah, I was really embarrassed about that when I'm like, oh man, I forgot. To. So I'm 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 gonna substantially change our our every six month donation. All right. Well, thank you, Larry. Yeah. So, you know, I think I I think every uh, ideally we want to thank every donor. Right. And, and it's and it's interesting because I see a list here of all these folks. I'm trying to find one that's. Uh, Dan McIntosh, I know Dan. I've known him since he was a, a young man, and uh, and Dan McIntosh is a is a regular contributor, a sustaining, sustaining, sustaining member. Jordan Chilson, you know another oh, I know Jordan. Uh, another I know pro- Jordan. An, yep. another, another prominent local young uh, uh, supporter of KDLL. Um, we have uh, yeah, we have a lot of people here. We just start naming a lot of them off. Romy Haseo. Uh, Romy has just got back from Japan. She visited visiting her family in, in Japan, and uh, she was telling us about how hot it was in Japan. She was really glad to be here until the temperature went to 18 that one day. So she said it was kind of nice in Japan. So, so. We, just, uh, we were in St. Louis here just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hotter than hot. Uh, in fact, my wife didn't have any shorts. We had to go somewhere and find, buy her some shorts. You know, and you know what? What's interesting about that part of the the Illinois side of St. Louis is there's a farm there called Eckert's, and it's been there since like the 20s. And when I was five years old, my aunts used to take me out to Eckert's to pick apples and to pick strawberries and everything. And I've I've never been there at the right time, but out in the valley up here in Alaska, there's a farm out there, and the people's name is Eckert, and I've would love to find out if they're related to those folks back in Illinois because it sure seems like a coincidence to me. Uh, but, yeah, those, uh, 
they'll talk, well, let me, let me ask you, Mitch, uh, uh, how many fruit trees exactly do you have? I have five. All they're, apple? They're all, all, all apples. And I'm, I'm doing apples, and I have one that is a low producer, and as the, 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 the apple guru in Anchorage, who I can't remember his name, he gave a, a, a great talk, said, if you have three bad years with an apple tree and it's not giving you fruit, cut it down. Start over again. And, you know, it's, yeah, I can say I've had this tree for, you know, six years, seven years. And, you know, you get fruit after the third year. I mean, you can get fruit the first year, and I tell everybody, don't rush it. Just give this tree some yeah. time to, to You to get develop. this little skinny tree with a giant apple. Oh, yeah, you're, <laughs> not, it down. you're not doing yeah. yourself or, or, yeah. or, or, that, or, or, that, or that tree. Of, of, so are, are, they, are they dwarf, semi, or full size? They're uh, semi-dwarfs. Semis. Uh, but semi-dwarf doesn't mean they don't get big. Cause right. You got to see. You got to cut them back. Right. Right. Lot. And and I tell folks, you know, the art of pruning is is it's wonderful. I tell everybody, says, when's the best time to prune an apple tree? I says, I like it when there's three feet of snow on the ground, and it is frozen solid, and it's in March when the sun is out. Because number one, you don't have to get a step ladder out there because you're already three. You're feet on top higher. of the snow, and it's nice. It's warm. You can even wear a t-shirt because March is really nice now. And well, you you're on top of the snow. I tend to sink. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but that's it's it's part of the whole process, right. and it's a part of the enjoyment. And, and there's and there's as there's not a hundred different ways to prune trees, but there's many different ways. Uh, I would love to do. I'm going to have to start buckle down and get get some new trees, but do espadier. Which you were talking about growing hops? Uh, well, it uh-huh. wasn't, wasn't you? It was the uh, the other crew that was on. Uh, Bill and and Frank were talking about growing hops on the side of a, of a building in Europe. Paris is is almost as far north as we are, when you look at or G- Germany, and a lot of fruit are grown there by putting them on slopes, but also putting them against buildings. And, and you know, we were just at a, a garden uh, southwest of London called Wisley, and I talked about that on the show, my last show. And that's what they did. They had absolutely beautiful, beautiful hops growing right up the side of a building. Gorgeous, gorgeous hops. And I tried to grow some a couple of years ago, and they were they started growing, and they oh they they grew, but not you know not prolifically. They went up the fence, and and I was going to train them. You know they'll get you know the commercial hops growers. They have their wives like seventeen feet long for them to grow up there. And I was going to train it to go up my fence. I got an eight-foot fence, and then along the top of the fence. And they grew, but uh, they, I don't know if it was a time, uh, growing days or what, but they, they, they didn't get any hops on. Or, uh, or if I had something wrong in the soil, I, I need to research it a little bit more. Right, right. Yeah, we were, my wife and I were on vacation visiting her family in Michigan on the, uh, on the edge of Lake Michigan, and we're bicycling on a bike trail. And all of a sudden, I stopped, and she's going, "Why are we stopping here?" And I says, "I says, just stop, right? Take a smell the air." And she goes, "Yeah, what is that?" I says, "That's the smell of hops. Somebody is growing hops here." And then we a little bit further down, we saw this small hops farm, and and she said, "That's hops." I said, "Yeah," and they were 15 feet tall, and they were, you know, the flowers were out, and which which essentially is what you end up using. Um, but that is, uh, yeah, it's. We can we can grow hops. We they were growing hops in Maine until prohibition hit, and then next thing you know, and that's a whole nother story that Bill Howell that's probably talked about at, at his show, the history of growing shop, hops, and until recently, hops was a controlled crop, and it was and it finally it, it 
opened up, and that's why you find a lot of hops farms because the one of the uh, regulations that came out is only certain uh, farms could grow hops for the U.S. And that was kind of a kept that market really tight, and they didn't want to have an explosion of breweries all over the place, I guess. But now anybody can grow hops. Frank and Anna are growing hops, you know, and they're and they're hope, hoping to sell it. And, and uh, yeah, and I said hops is a perennial, folks. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's like any other perennial up here in Alaska. Uh, you know, they grow a lot of hops down in Washington and Oregon. And uh, I don't know, you know, their ground probably doesn't freeze very often. But I don't, you know, I don't know what the what the process would be to, to mulch if you would need to mulch, uh, protect your hop yeah. roots yeah. up here or yeah. not. There's a lot of things like in uh, uh, upstate New York in the Finger Lakes area. Uh, I did a project on erosion control in the uh, vineyards there. And the, the issue was is that every year in the, in, the, in the Finger Lakes, they cut back all those vines and they go in with a, with a small dozer and they mound the soil up three feet around those, uh, those uh, apple vines, those, oh. those roots, to prevent it because in the Finger Lakes, it goes to 30 below It zero. gets cold up it there. It gets really cold. And you can grow ap- you can grow grapes there. And we could do the same thing here. We just have to find the right, the, the right culture, the, the cultural practice to do that. Yeah, that would that would be uh, that's that's been kind of my. If I was a little bit younger, I would be really studying and trying to figure out how to get a hops farm up here or growing hops. See if you could make it work. Right. Just yeah. to see if you could make it work, because it's really unique. You know, they cut them. They got they've got the strings hanging. Then they cut the top of the string, and uh, that's why you see those hop uh, the wires that go right. across. You always see all these. Leftover strings from the year before right. that they run them back down to the they run them back down to the ground. Well, folks, I also want to uh, uh, we're talking about cold. Well, you know that's one of the things where uh, being a member of KDLL helps you helps us keep the heat on in this building yeah. and pay for the utilities. And uh, Sharon and Norman Resch, we really want to thank you for uh, for donating and becoming a member of of uh, KDLL. That's uh, awful nice of you. And then I also uh, want to thank uh, Penny. Um, uh, is it Vadla? Vadla. Penny Vadla? Yes. Yeah, thank you, Penny. We really appreciate that. Uh, you're helping You're helping to keep the electricity on that Mitch and I are talking into these microphones right now, right. and we really appreciate that. Uh, KDLL is a wonderful resource out here on the peninsula, and uh, once again, we thank you folks for for joining in and, uh, and, and making a donation to help out the, help out a great a All great right. local resource. Yeah, and a couple of other folks. Uh, actually, there's a hockey game tonight. I hope to see Steve and Trace, Steve Ford and Tracy Howard there. I want to thank them for their being a sustaining member. Uh, some other folks that I know, uh, Anne Marie Rudstrom and C.O. Rudstrom. Uh, thank you for being. I know C.O. Yep, yeah, and that's uh, his wife. Which, uh, sorry, C.O., you can't mask. Your, your identity behind <laughs> Anne-Marie. Uh, Amber Kraxberger. Uh, Amber uh, is now working with the U.S. Forest Service, I think. I think she's working for the... Uh, anyway, so uh, there's a lot of folks. These are locals. If you're new, if you... This is the first time... If, actually, I'll, let me pitch it this way. If you've been listening to public radio for a year after you arrived here, it is time for you to pony up to the bar and put some money down. And, and, it's, and it's easy to say, I'll do it later. But actually, you can do it later. You can do it anytime. I think anytime you want. Just get on the internet. You know, it'll, it'll take your card just as well as anybody else's card. <laughs> and, and you can set the payment that you, you want to do. 
you can do it one time. You can actually actually just put a, a payment in your dog's name. I've done that. I've done that before. Sure. Uh, and it's a it's a it's a and you get a great bandana by the way. Right. You get a, a bandana for the dog. Yeah. So that's a, and and it's photo will get posted on the KDLO. Uh, the KDLO website is a new way to to get out. Uh, you can most of all the uh, uh, the nine one one econ are all posted there, and you don't even have to have to, to listen to it. You can read them, which is really cool because now you can just read the story that you just heard because sometimes, you know, what was that name and what was that? Sure. So if you're reading it, you know, the art of reading is not gone because we have the Internet. Right, and, um, you know, one of, the, one of the neat things about the technology today, too, it's like all the shows on KDLL, they've all got their own little link, and previous shows are posted on the Internet, and if you do, if you if you miss the show normally, listening to the internet or driving down the road, just go to KDLL and find your favorite show, and click the play, and you can sit and listen to the to the entire show whenever you want. Uh, you can listen if it's a couple of years old. You can go back and remember something and and do that. Well, that that's the technology, and that technology uh, to make it always work and work better. That's one of the things we use the funds for um, being a KDLL member. Right. I found that, um, other than in the wintertime, really hard to listen to Bill Howell's show because it's at an inappropriate time for me. Usually middle of the day on Saturday I'm doing something else, and I complained to Bill. I said, yeah, you got to move the time. He says, you know, it is on. They're all on the Internet. If you missed right. it, you can come back and go. And I said, yeah, it's true. I could do that. There's no. Yeah, reason. people tell me that. I said, oh, Larry, I'm sorry I missed your show. Uh, well, you know, you can... It's real easy. It's real easy to bug back and, uh, and, you know, practically, gosh, not just KDL, but practically every radio station anymore has the podcast where you can uh, go listen to a show. I mean, now not all, of them, not all of them have a show that aired 18 months ago, but still, if you miss it, it's, it's usually pretty easy to, to find it. All right. I find that uh, sometimes I get up real early in the morning around 4, 4.30, and, you know, morning edition on the regular I can, oh, yeah. I, can, I can get it on on the internet like two sure. hours before it's broadcast here so then i can go out so there is no reason why you can't and when i donate to kdl public radio i am actually supporting those national programs oh because, absolutely because each one of those national programs don't come cheap those are subscribed to and every year the board and jenny uh the the, the station manager have to make some decisions on how they're going to allocate some of them are very expensive some of them are less expensive but you know quality when you hear it on the radio. Um, right. Yeah. And it's, uh, I am so glad that uh, my wife and I, we've been in Alaska a little over 32 years now. Uh, this next spring will be 33. And we've been down on the peninsula now, uh, retired for 12 years. And we were so happy to come across KDLL. It's, uh, the folks here are nice. Jenny is ab- an absolute treasure. And, uh, she uh and unfortunately she's she's uh out right now on a family emergency uh but she is such uh such a great such a great station manager and uh we we love it and uh i gotta tell you real quick i i was uh we were at a a function at the library and Jeannie was there and i just approached her with hey what would you think about a gardening show and She's like, well, yeah, we'll give it a try. And that's been two years ago now. And uh, folks seem to like it, and I enjoy doing it. I enjoy having a, your support of KDLL, all our listeners of KDLL. 
the Central Peninsula Garden Club is uh, is a great resource for all our local gardeners. Uh, you're a great resource for for gardeners. I mean, you were a forester, but you you know plants, I and know you know plants. soil, and that's one of the things that that uh, is important to a gardener. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a lot of resources there. I mean, there's a there's a, we we could do a lot more, but we can't do a lot more without your help. That's right. That's that's the important thing. And if you have an idea, if you have an idea for your own radio show or something that's being missed, or you can take part in, in forming and shaping uh, KDLL pub, Public Radio. That's exactly right, and that's what we hope all of folks will, will do. Listeners, we've got a couple minutes left of this show. Uh, just get in under the wire, 907-513-1996, for a chance for some of these great prizes uh, for donating. And we want to thank all the folks that did donate uh, during the last couple hours. We appreciate that. And uh, let your friends know uh, some of the shows we've got. Uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about we didn't get a chance to when that was the uh, Soil and Conservation Service, which changed to NRCS back in the 90s, and uh, the history of that. And maybe, that, uh, maybe that'll be an upcoming show sometime. Oh, that would be cool because we, we've got some, uh, a lot of retirees here who were here when it was called the Soil Conservation Service. There's the right. two, the two, the the Tews family that lives in, in Sterling, which is like, it's like you, you were there when? <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, uh, it's 2 o'clock. This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Thank you, folks, for listening. Thank you, Mitch, for being a guest this Thank hour. Thank you, Larry. And we will uh, be back at a future date uh, with Growing a Greener Kenai, and I hope uh, hope you'll be in to listen. And we're going to do just a little bit of Octopus's Garden to finish out the show. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. <laughs>